I am so excited to preach this sermon today because I get a chance to make from the scriptures a really bold claim. James chapter 3, our text this morning, reveals to us the one thing that we can do to become a perfect person. You know, we as humans are kind of obsessed with this topic. We want to know how to become the best versions of ourselves. Whether that means learning a life hack or developing a new skill or experiencing some character change or even being freed from some hurt that we've experienced in the past. Our shortcomings in our life seem to nag us over and over and drive within us this desire to become the best person we can be. And yet we find ourselves failing to finally reach it. Well, if you notice in verse 2 of James chapter 3, he says it this way, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect person, able also to bridle his whole body. James is saying that if we learn to control our tongue, if we learn to control what we say, we actually have the ability to become a perfect person. Now, if you're listening today and you have figured out this problem, how to control everything that you say, I'd like you to call me because I haven't yet solved this problem within my own life. But this whole chapter, James chapter 3, is about the tongue, the power of the tongue, the purpose of the tongue, and then ultimately he tells us what the problem is that we're going to have to solve so that we can become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let's start first with the power of the tongue. If you notice here in this passage, James gets very poetic in verses about three through eight, giving us this whole picture, this portrait of how powerful our tongue really can be. First, the power of the tongue can be seen in its size. You notice the analogies that James uses here. He says, consider the horse, this thousand or maybe even 2,000 pound animal that's powerful and strong. If you put in the mouth of a horse a bit and bridle, you can control that animal where it goes. Then he says, consider the ship. He may have been thinking about a ship like the one that carried Paul all the way to Rome that could have 276 people on it. This massive ship, he says, is controlled even by a small rudder. He says, don't be fooled by the size of your tongue or the fleeting nature of your words. Yes, your tongue is a small member of your body, but it boasts of really powerful abilities. Now, the second thing is this, that the power of the tongue can be seen in the damage that it can do. Just like a small spark set upon some dry leaves can cause a whole forest to burn, so it is with the tongue. He says the tongue is like a fire because it's a world of unrighteousness. What's broken in the system of this world is actually contained and then conveyed in our tongue and in our words. Its impact, he says there in James chapter 3, can stain the whole body and actually even set fire to the whole course of your life. See, what James is getting at is that your whole entire life can actually be harmed or ruined by just your tongue. Just imagine how many relationships have been ruined by things we say. How many opportunities in life or in your career have been lost because of words that we have said or the use of our tongue. One word can change the course of your entire life. 
Just think about all the ways that our words do harm. First, think about gossip. You know, gossip is creating a bond with somebody based upon the faulty foundation of talking about another person's business. And we often veil gossip in certain code words like, have you heard, or did you know, or I need you to keep this to yourself and start revealing some gossip. We sometimes even try to sanitize it within our faith circles by saying things like, hey, can you be praying for, and then begin to reveal some gossip. We need to be careful because gossip is sowing poison into relationships where we should be building good, firm, strong relationships. Consider also flattery, sort of the opposite to gossip. Gossip is what you're willing to say behind somebody's back that you're not willing to say to their face. Flattery is what you're willing to say to somebody's face that you're not willing to say behind their back. And the Bible over and over cautions us and warns us not only from not being a person who gives so much flattery, but also building relationships based upon flattery. It too is a faulty foundation. Consider also lying, which is just solving an immediate fear with a long-term problem. We move into lying because we're afraid in the moment of what will happen with the truth. And if we're really God-fearing people, there's nothing to fear in the truth. Consider also criticism. You know, criticism is just when we tear things down or tear people down without any real interest in building things back up. It's just no investment at all. It's just shredding. Th oh my gosh, it sucks so bad. Okay. Consider criticism. You know, criticism is just when we tear things down or tear people down without any interest in really building those things or those people back up. There are many other ways that we use words in a harmful way, like meanness or boasting or slander, or worst of all, blasphemy. But all of these ways just demonstrate how dangerous and damaging our words can be. Third, the power of the tongue can be seen in its dominance. Creatures big and small, he tells us in verse 7, have all been able to be tamed. Maybe you've been to the zoo or something like SeaWorld and you've seen these massive, powerful beings tamed. And yet he tells us here in James chapter 3, verse 8, that no human has ever been able to tame the tongue. You know, he's telling us here that with human strength, it is impossible for us to be able to tame our tongue. So these first words from James about how powerful the tongue is can come across a little bit harsh, pretty discouraging, but actually it's an act of grace from James to do this for us because he's telling us ultimately what the purpose of our tongue is. The purpose of the tongue we can see in verses 9 through 12, he starts off by telling us that with our tongue we bless God. We're meant to bless with our tongue. The word bless means to speak what is true in a way that builds up and lifts people up. And so the way that we bless God is we actually tell God back to Him what is true about Him in a way that honors Him, in a way that praises Him, in a way that's respectful of Him. But then he tells us we also use it to curse people. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I don't speak any curses into people's lives. I don't look at people and curse at them or curse about them. But the idea of the word curse means just to invoke evil about somebody. Really, the most simple way I can explain it is this. To curse somebody 
means to take their worst moment or a flaw in their character and then define them for life by it. You notice he says there, we curse people who are made in the image of God. He's referencing us back to what's true inside of us, who we are supposed to be. Every person you see has been made in the image of God. And to curse them is to take what is flawed about them or see them in their worst moment and then define them by it. But to bless them is to see them as a God-created creature made in His image and speak into their life what is true about that image. Yes, that might mean if we're going to bless somebody that we might have to correct them or instruct them in something. But we're doing that always in light of trying to help them become the image of God that's created in them. We can do this cursing with our words that come out of our mouth when we speak to them or about them to other people. But you know, we also curse people with the thoughts in our mind before they ever become words that come out of our mouth. I want you to think about the way you define people in your mind. Do you constantly think about all the worst parts of the people in your life? Does your mind constantly fill with all the shortcomings and the flaws with maybe your spouse or your children, your coworkers, your friends? Cursing people is to be constantly focused on all the ways that they fall short and not thinking about the image of God that they've been built in and really how you're supposed to bless them. Blessing people means to build them up in the image of God in which they've been created. And since we don't do this very well, James tells us the tongue then serves another purpose, really as a diagnostic to tell us that we have a problem. He says, does a spring bring fresh water and salt water? No, it doesn't do that. He says, does a fig tree bring about olives? No way. Does a grapevine bring figs? You see, you would be so confused if that ever happened because you know the source of those things is what it's supposed to bring about. And what he's pointing us to is this idea that our tongue is really not the source of our problem. It is the revealer of our problem. The tongue is not the root of the problem. It's the fruit of the problem. If what you're seeing is blessing to God and cursing of other people, the misuse of our tongue, It's revealing to us that we have a problem deeper than just words we're saying. In verses 13 through 18, James shows us the problem we have. You see, if we're ever going to get to the bottom of this, if we're ever going to solve the problem of our tongue, we've got to understand first the real problem we have. Verse 13, he shows us the life that we're supposed to live with wisdom, using good conduct, doing the works of God's kingdom with gentleness and wisdom. But sin has changed the course of our life. We don't live this way. And you have to begin to really ask, why don't we live this way? That's where he tells us in verse 14. Read this with me. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In verse 14, he gets to the root of our problem. He says it's jealousy and selfish ambition. The devastating effect of sin that every human has experienced is separation from God, our source of life, our source of joy, our source of peace. 
the place where we get identity and hope. And when each of us have been separated from the Father because of sin, it has left us scrambling to find these things. So because we're separated from God, we're scrambling to find some semblance of security, some peace, some hope, some kind of joy. We're scrambling to find our identity to know who we are without God. And we're suffering from guilt and shame, insecurity and frustration. And we all try to solve this sin problem on our own. That's what he calls earthly, unspiritual, and yes, even demonic wisdom. Tells you to look around at people around you. And if you have more than the next guy, or if you're doing better than somebody else, or if you can see a flaw in somebody that you don't have, you then can have restored back to you identity, purpose, peace, joy, and hope. That's what's demonic about that wisdom. In being superior to somebody else, you think that you'll be restored to what you had with God before sin. Sin has dropped our eyes from looking vertical to God for all that we need and looking horizontal to be better than somebody else. You see, behind every sin of our tongue is the drive that we have within us to solve the real problem of sin with demonic wisdom, earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom. So what's the answer? We need a wisdom from above, a different wisdom, a better wisdom. Look how he describes this wisdom from above. He says in verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now you notice something interesting that James does here for us. He doesn't actually tell us what the wisdom is. He just describes it. He says wisdom that's from heaven, wisdom that's from above, is pure and peaceable. He's telling us the characteristic of the wisdom, but not the information. You see, this wisdom doesn't come to us in the form of new information. It comes to us in the form of a new person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. All of the wisdom of God that frees us from the destruction of what sin has done to us, that has led us to jealousy and selfish ambition, the sin that makes us use our tongue wrong and words in a way that ruins our life, all of that is solved in the wisdom of God which is wrapped up not just in information, but in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when you look to Jesus, you see a man who lived perfectly, controlled his tongue, was every one of these descriptions, pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. He was all of those things. And yet he went to the cross and died the death of a sinner that we deserve to die. We see him gracious and full of mercy towards us and in doing so paved a way for us to return back to the Father to be reconnected to the place where we get our true identity made in the image of God, our true purpose to bring glory to Him, our true hope and destiny, life eternal with Him. You see, when we have that in Jesus Christ and in His wisdom, that's what actually frees us from the problem and the pain of sin to become people who can use our words 
to edify and build up everyone around us. We no longer have to see people as competition so that we can feel better about ourselves. We can see people as companions journeying through this life in hope of eternity. Now you notice he finishes by saying something very unique. In verse 18 he says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's talking about a harvest that is full of righteousness. You want to begin to reap righteousness in your life? You want to see good things coming to you. You want to see relationships be built the right way, which takes time. You've got to sow in peace as a person who is a peacemaker. You want to reap a harvest of righteousness in your life? You must be a peacemaker who sows in all of your relationships peace. You can't use your words to harm others. You can't use your words to tear others down. You can't use your words to try to make yourself feel better by seeing others as less. You've got to use your words as an instrument of sowing peace into the world and into your relationships so that you could have harvest of righteousness. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. He, as the ultimate peacemaker, not just with humans, but between us and God, sowed his life in peace, and he is going to reap a harvest of righteousness. All of those who come by faith to him will be made righteous, not in their own works, but in the righteousness that he gives us through his perfect life. If you find yourself frustrated, agitated, your relationships just constantly feeling um, in turmoil, your answer is not found in just having some better words or a better thought. Your answer is found in being freed from the pain and problem of sin because of Jesus Christ. When you come to him, confessing your sin, longing from him your purpose, your identity, your acceptance, your love, and you finally get from the cross and the resurrection everything that you've been looking for, you all of a sudden are freed to enjoy your relationships for what they were meant to be and can sow into them as a peaceful person who has peace first with God and then can begin to have peace with others. Let your tongue reveal to you first the power that it contains, that it can set ablaze and ruin your life, or it can sow peace and reap righteousness. Let it also reveal to you maybe the areas in which you still haven't let Jesus come in and change you. And ultimately, let it lead you to look for wisdom from above, not just in information, but from a person, Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself right now distant from him, not understanding really how he can free your heart to be able to pursue a peace-filled life, we want to help you with that. You can contact us by calling or texting the phone number on the screen. We stand ready to help you know who Jesus is, come to understand how to follow him, to have your sins forgiven by expressing your faith in what he's done for you, dying to your old self of sin in the waters of baptism, and be raised to walk in a new life, a life pursuing peace. Won't you let us help you?